We're going to Acts chapter number 7 today. Acts chapter number 7. That's where our text comes from. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 54. Before I begin reading, I want to welcome a very special guest that's here today. Mom B. Would you stand up and wave for everybody so I can tell everybody who you are? Wave at everybody. She's right here. This young lady is one of the most special people on the planet. I don't know her for very long, but her ministry that she founded, her and her husband, how many years ago now? Is it 51 years ago? 51 years ago is one of the most spectacular ministries on the planet. It's called the Walter Hoving Home. We as a church have partnered with them. Um, They help girls um, and young ladies and old ladies, and they help ladies um, get out of all sorts of things in life, abuse, addictions, overdoses, all sorts of things. They have an 82% success rate. It's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I think they, you said you helped how many ladies over the years? You gave me a number the other night. I thought you said like 80, 81,000, I think is what you told me. The other 81,000 ladies. Isn't that amazing? And so we are just honored to have you. And we want to ask you if you would keep this church in your prayers. We know that the prayers of moms in the faith are powerful, and we just ask you to keep us lifted up to the Lord that we would just fulfill God's will over our life. Thank you for being here. It's so good to have you today. We're honored. Acts chapter number 7, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter number 7, I'm going to begin in verse number 54. The scripture says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, they gnashed their teeth at him, uh, gnashed at him with their teeth, but he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at God's right hand. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran on him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He then knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stoning was one of the most painful and excruciating ways to die in Bible times. They pelted stones at your face. They pelted them at your head, at your entire body, till you fell down and had no breath left on the inside of you. Today we don't practice stoning, but I think to each of us we would all agree that we've been stoned a few times in life. People throw all sorts of stones, the stones of people's words, the stones of rumors and innuendos and lies, the stones of motives being questioned, the stones of gossip, all sorts of stones. And even though we don't practice stoning, those kinds of stones are still as hurtful, as painful, and can be as deadly as the Old Testament way of doing it. Today I want to talk to you on the subject, everybody gets stoned. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter if you're black or you're white or you're anything else, everybody gets stoned. And how we handle being stoned determines how effective we will be in life. So this morning my prayer is that each of you will learn how to handle being stoned in life because everybody gets stoned. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace, would you open every heart and speak to each life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to the text, we find Stephen being stoned by people who he more than likely 
has known for a very, very long time. People who he went to church with, actually temple, but for our purposes, church. He would go to church with them. He probably was in small groups with them, probably prayed with them. He probably spent time over their house, had meals with them. And the people that loved him and the people that took them into his home and the people that prayed for him are suddenly stoning him. How many of you know in life we get stoned by not just haters, we expect to get stoned by haters, but we also get stoned by fakers. And fakers are the people who pretend to love us and be with us, and, but as soon as our life begins to go in a direction that they don't agree with or that bothers them in some way, out come the stones. And so Stephen is being stoned by the people that he knows for a very long time. They are religious people. And can I just tell you that you have never been stoned in life till you got stoned by a church person. Because church people will wrap a scripture around the stone and throw it at you. And they'll make believe that what they're doing is actually godly in some way. But in reality, it's a sin of a bigger sort. Anyway, Stephen is being so stoned by the people that he knows for a long time. And he's being stoned because he has given his life to Jesus. He is proclaiming, he is teaching that this Jesus that they crucified, who has now been resurrected, is indeed the Savior. And God is moving in his life. And because his heart has been captured, his hands are bringing healing to people. And God is doing signs and wonders and miracles at the hands of Stephen. And because Stephen is doing good, because Stephen is having success, out come the stones. How many of you know that whenever you have success in life, your, set, your success will often uh, cause the deficiencies in other people to come to the surface? And because of that, out will come the stones. And so because Stephen is doing so good and God is using him and the people don't like what he's saying, out come the stones. But I like what mama taught me when I was growing up. She would say, consider the source. When people throw stones, you got to consider the sto- source. You, don't, you can't let those stones stick with you. You can't let them be stumbling blocks in your life. The scripture puts it like this. It says, let the ignorant be ignorant still. Anybody ever try to change an ignorant person? Nobody, just me. Can I tell you, it's a fruitless proposition. The Bible says just if they're going to be ignorant, they're going to stick in it, just, just keep moving. Just don't let the stones stick on you. And then Stephen is being stoned not only because he's having success, not only by people he's known for years, but he's being stoned because of what he represents. How many of you know that when you represent something that is different than what other people represent, they will stone you? Stephen represents a new order. He represents a new paradigm, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to God. The Old Testament way was you have to relate to God through all sorts of good works. And if you do enough good works and you go through enough, enough ceremonial cleansings, then you'll be whole and clean before God. But along comes Jesus, and Jesus pays the price for our sin and offers us his grace as the payment for our sin. And Stephen begins to relate to God in that way and begins to tell everybody how the law and the prophets were pointing to Jesus the whole time. He's representing something different, so out come the stones. He's being stoned by people who he knows. He's being stoned because he's having success. He's being stoned because of what he represents. And he's being stoned by somebody that was a contemporary of his, Saul. Saul is the one who has authorized the stoning of Stephen. In our text, it says that they laid their garments down at the feet 
of Saul. Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin. As a member of the Sanhedrin, he had to authorize the stoning of anybody for blasphemy. And so they came and they laid their clothes down at the feet of Saul, who had authorized the stoning of Stephen. What's interesting is the comparison between Saul and Stephen. They probably knew each other well. Saul was smart, so was Stephen. Saul was a young man, so was Stephen. Saul was educated, so was Stephen. Saul knew the Old Testament laws in and out, so did Stephen. Saul was well-known, so was Stephen. Saul was feared, Stephen was liked. Saul spended, spent his lifetime holding people accountable to obeying the law. Stephen had given his life since coming to Jesus to serving people because of what the Lord had done in his life. And so Stephen gets up knowing the scriptures very well. He's in church. He's, people know him. He's been accepted by them. And he begins to go through the law and the prophets pointing to how they were talking about Jesus. And now normally Saul would be able to shut down anybody's argument because he knew the law greater than anybody else. But the Bible says he couldn't resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. How many of you know when people cannot shut you down, they stone you? When people can't stop what you're doing, they stone you. And so Stephen is getting stoned for all different sorts of reasons. But in the process of this stoning, we learn some important things about how to handle being stoned in life because everybody gets stoned. First way you handle getting stoned in life is that you have to realize there is a right way and a wrong way to handle and getting stoned. The right way to handle being stoned is to take the high road of forgiveness. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that if somebody comes along and they stone me because, you know, they're a small person and they stone me because of my success and how it points out their deficiencies and they stone me because of what I represent, they stone me because I, they can't shut me down, that I actually have to forgive them? Seriously? Are you kidding me? But that is what is intriguing about the story, isn't it? What's intriguing about the story is that in the middle of him being stoned, Stephen takes the high road of forgiveness. He prays the prayer, and the prayer is, Father, don't hold this sin against their charge. Not exactly what most of us would have prayed. Matter of fact, most of us would have went on the attack. Most of us like to get back when people stone us. Most of us like to pick up the stone and throw it back. I like what this one lady did. She went to the pet store. And she said to the pet store owner, she said, I need the meanest pet that you got in the whole store. By the way, have you all heard this before? I might have shared it once or twice. If you haven't heard it, if you've heard it before, you're going to hear it again for the benefit of the new campuses that are out there. So campuses, pay attention to this one. This lady goes into a pet store. She said, I need the meanest pet that you have. The pet store owner says, well, what, what, you know, let me show you a few things. So they go over to this bird, and he says, this is the meanest pet in the whole entire store. And the lady says, well, what can a bird do? And he says, watch this. Stand back now. And he says, attack, bird chair and he points to this chair and the bird flies off the perch and goes and just turns that chair into rubble within seconds and the lady says oh this is good what else can the bird do and, and he says watch this watch this attack bird table and points to the table and within seconds the table is a pile of sawdust and she says i gotta have this bird i gotta I don't ha care how much it costs i gotta have the bird and the pet store owner says well what are you gonna do with this bird she said i am married to the meanest angriest, most hurtful man in all the world. And I'm going to take this bird home and I'm going to walk into the house and he's going to say, what is that? And I'm going to say, that's an attack bird. And he's going to say, attack bird my foot. 
my foot, my foot. Not exactly the way that I heard the story, but you get the point, right? We all love to go on the attack. We all love to get people back, right, when they do us harm. Matter of fact, we don't just want to attack birds. We want to attack God. Anybody ever want to attack God? You know, when somebody does something to you, you set God on them. You're like, God, now go get him. God, pay him back for me. And then you try to pull out Scripture to get God to do it. Has anybody ever done that before? Maybe it's just me. I'm a little crueler than most people. But listen to this Scripture. Romans chapter 12. I promise you this is one of your favorite Scriptures in the Bible. Verse number 19. It's the attack God Scripture. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Amen! Don't you love that verse? Isn't that one of the greatest verses in all the Bible? You know, you know, when you read that verse, you're like, yes, I get it, God, I get it, God. So the reason why I'm supposed to pull back instead of pay back is because you're going to pay him back for me, God, and you're going to pay him back even worse than I would pay him back. Yeah, I like you, God. Me and you, we're just right here, God. We're seeing eye to eye. God, go get him, right? Then I learned that that's not what the verse means. Started studying a little bit about the verse, started studying a little about Jesus, and I learned that, that the vengeance that was due, you and I, God poured out on Jesus. I learned that on the cross, that God said he will see the travail of Jesus' soul and be satisfied, satiated. In other words, can't, doesn't want any more of pouring out judgment. That on the cross, judgment met grace and judgment was forever settled. And then I learned that on the cross, not only was his vengeance poured out, but I learned that on the cross, the price for everything that I did that was wrong, every evil that I committed against God and against people was paid for. That God does indeed repay our evil and he did it on the cross. And so so I learned that this scripture is really not telling me to step back so that God can get people, but to step back so that God can offer people the very same thing that he's offered to you and I who deserve God to punish us, but instead of him punishing us, he gave us his grace because of what happened on the cross. Oh, y'all ought to like that a little bit more than you responded. That's what it means. It doesn't mean step back and let God get him. See, Forgiveness is difficult. It's difficult because we don't, we don't want to forgive. We, we, we want to go tit for tat. We want to hurt people. But as difficult as it is, you know what it is? It's absolutely divine. It's, it's, it's up another world. Listen to how Romans goes on. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Yeah, I like that one too. Don't you? I'm like, all right, all right. So God, I, I step back and maybe you don't get him like I, but, but at least I can kill him with kindness. Have you ever heard that before? And, and so people actually go around acting kind, not because they really want to act kind, right? They act kind because they think that's going to just give it to the person that, uh, on the other end of it. And so, yeah, I'm going to be kind to you. Ha ha. How do you like that one? I'm kind to of, ha ha. Take that one. Kill him with kindness, right? Heap coals of fire on their head. And then I learned that's not what the verse means. <laughs> it's disappointing when you want a verse to mean something and it, like, you know, it doesn't mean that. And so I learned that, that actually in Bible times that the way that they kept their fire going, you know, they didn't have heating systems. 
they, they, they didn't have stoves and they didn't have propane and all that kind of stuff. So they relied on their fire to heat their houses. They relied on the, the fire to cook their food and, you know, to, to, to sanitize water and all that kind of stuff. So if the fire went out in the house, that was a problem. And, and, and specifically, this verse is referring to what you would do if the fire went out in the middle of the night when the temperature dropped, you know, it was real cold and, you know, you needed to get some more, some more fires. And the way that they kept the fire going was by burning coals, coals or ashes, you know, that they had. And so if your fire went out, you'd have to go to your neighbor's house. And in the middle of the night, you couldn't ring the doorbell. There was no doorbell. You couldn't send a text. There was no texting, you know. And so you had to make a ruckus to get your neighbor up. And so you'd bang on the door. Hey! 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 Fred! 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 Fred, sorry to wake you, Fred. Meanwhile, the whole neighborhood is up, right? And, and you'd ask Fred, you'd have a basket on your head. And you'd say to Fred, you'd say, Fred, I, I need some coals from my fire. And Fred would take coals from his fire and heap them upon your head. Put them in the basket that was on your head. And then as you walked back through the town and you woke everybody up, everybody would look at you and think, man, Fred is a good neighbor. Look at Fred. Fred just gave you all them coals after you woke him up out of a dead sleep. And you know what God is telling us? He's telling us that when we offer people forgiveness, what happens is everybody looks at not Fred, but Father. They look at Father God and they go, you have a good Father. Look at you, you're not like the world is. You don't, oper- you don't go tit for tat. You, you, don't, you don't pay back. But you pull back. And you give place to God to offer people the same thing that he offered to you and I. Forgiveness is absolutely divine. And it turns people toward Christ. Listen to me, church. There ought to be differences. And we've talked about this so many times before. In the way we are and the way the world is. I mean, but yet sometimes even in the church you can't tell the difference. You know, you get a church person riled up, they'll, they'll cut your head off. Where is forgiveness? You sit in their seat, and you're like, yep, that's my seat. <laughs> oh, I, I always sit here. Every single, sit in a new seat. They get all worked up. Somebody's in their seat, you know, and they're going to get mad, and you know, or, or, you know, I don't like the way the usher greeted me at the door. Now they all ought to smile, and they all ought to be happy about it, but you can ruffle a church person's feathers real quick. They'll walk in church. <laughs> Hello? Are we saved? Are we different? Forgiveness is divine. Jesus tells this amazing story about forgiveness. You may have heard it before. I don't have time to go to the actual scripture, so I'll retell you the story. He says there was this guy who owed a king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, just to put it in perspective, um, was such a huge amount. It was an amount that you couldn't pay back in a thousand lifetimes. Matter of fact, 10,000 talents was a greater number than the combined income of the kingdom of Herod the Great in the Bible times. His kingdom took in 900 talents. And so Jesus said there was this man owed 10,000 talents. That's like 75 to 100 million bucks, right? In a 1,000 lifetimes, you can't pay back 75 to 100 million bucks. And by the way, if you can pay it back in this lifetime, come and see me after church. We need to talk about tithing just a little bit, okay? (laughs) And so in any case, he says there was this guy, he owed this king 10,000 talents. And he said, and he goes to the king and he asked the king, can I get a little bit more time? As if like three more weeks is going to help you to pay back 75 to 100 million dollars, right? And he goes to the king and he says this to the king. The king goes, listen. He said, I'm going to do you even one better than giving you more time. I'm going to wipe the slate completely clean. I'm going to forgive your debt as if you never owed me anything before. And of course, Jesus is telling the story to set up, to draw a parallel in our mind, to, to rouse our heart to the fact that this is what he's done for us. We owe God a sin debt that was so big in a thousand lifetimes, we couldn't 
pay it back no matter how long we lived. We couldn't pay it back. And so what did God do in Christ? He wiped the slate, slate clean. Though our sins were as scarlet, he made them white as snow. Right? And so he's trying to tell us this story. And so you would think that the guy, after the king forgives the debt, would walk down the steps of the castle, pumping his fist and just ready to pass it on like, this is my greatest day. Look at this sin that has been forgiven me. And he comes down the steps of the palace. He's just gotten forgiven. I mean, just left the presence of the king, just gotten forgiven. And he sees this guy on the street that owed him three months' wages. Chump change compared to what he owed the king. And he gets the guy, and instead of saying to the guy, listen, this is your lucky day, man. I'm just going to tell you, I, I forgive you of that debt. You know what he does? He goes Paulie Walnuts on the guy. <laughs> Any Soprano fans out there? The clean version, of course. You know, the edited version. Not the version. Anyway, he goes Paulie Walnuts on the guy. He grabs the guy by the back of the neck. It really says this in the scripture. And he drags him through the streets, you know, gives him a good beat and drags him through the streets because in Bible times they had vigilante justice. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, come on, let's just a minute. Let's take a break from forgiveness for a second. Wouldn't it be cool to just take matters into your own hands some of the time, right? In any case, he drags him through the streets. He's giving him a beating. He, he throws him in front of the court. He says, this guy hasn't repaid me what he owes me. Put him in jail. The court throws the guy in jail, throws away the king. Word gets back to the king. king is furious. He cannot believe that a person that he forgave a huge debt to wouldn't forgive somebody else of a smaller debt. And he calls the guy in and he withdraws his forgiveness and then he throws him in jail for the rest of his life. Throws away the key. What is God saying to us? God is saying to you and me as Christians that this thing called forgiveness is when we are more like God than at any other time. And when we don't offer people forgiveness who stone us, we are forgetting the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us, the magnitude of the fact that we came to God one time with a soul that was soaked with sin and somehow, some way, God in his grace forgave us and we're no longer on our way to hell, but now we're on our way to heaven and because of Jesus, we are justified in the eyes of God just as if we never sinned. How could we not? Offer other people forgiveness. Forgiveness is difficult, yes. But it's also divine. And then I want to push the pause button and give you this third thing about forgiveness. It's dependent. It's dependent. Let me read you the pretext to the text that I've been, been looking at with you. Romans chapter 12, verse number 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. In other words, take the high road. Have regard for good things in the sight of men. If it is possible... As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, when I say forgiveness is dependent, I don't mean that you offering somebody forgiveness is dependent. That that's, that's goes without saying. If you are a born-again Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you have a biblical commandment and a biblical capability and empowerment to offer forgiveness to people who have hurt you. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, you just don't know what they've done to me. Can I ask you? What have we done to Jesus? I don't think there could be anything worse than what we did to Jesus. He left heaven. He left his throne to come to earth. And he paid a sin debt that he didn't know. Oh, so you and I could walk free. And so um, when I say dependent, I'm not talking about we kind of have an option here on whether or not we should offer people forgiveness. What I'm saying is that forgiveness is relinquishing our right to hurt back, but it's not necessarily 
reconciliation. And I have to say this because in our society, there's too much abuse. There's too many poor relationships. There's too many things that, that we go back to as Christians under the guise of forgiveness. And here's what I found out. That abusers and bad relationships will twist forgiveness so they can repeat the behavior. But you're a Christian. That means you're supposed to forgive me. Yeah, I'm going to give up my right to hurt you back, but I'm going to protect my right to not be hurt again. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to release you to God, but this relationship is not one that I'm going to reconcile in. Not every relationship you should reconcile in, but every relationship that has stoned you in life, you need to forgive. You need to release that from your heart because there's this fourth thing about forgiveness that is absolutely freeing. Forgiveness is not only difficult. Forgiveness is not only divine. Forgiveness on the reconciliation end is dependent on a lot of things, by the way. Yeah, I can't give you all of the things in one sermon, but it's dependent. But number four, Forgiveness is detoxing. You know, nowadays we hear a lot about detoxing, don't we? Drink this so you can detox. Don't, don't eat foods that have this in it. You know, make sure it's gluten-free and make sure it's GMO-free and make sure it's this free or that free and flavor-free. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but all this kind of stuff, right? And we talk a lot about, about detoxing and, you know, people go for colonics and all this kind of stuff, which is beyond me. Anyway, here's my question. What about detox, detoxing our soul? What about detoxing our soul from the hurts of the stones that have been thrown our way? And here's what happens. When you hang on to unforgiveness in your life, your soul gets toxic. All of a sudden, there is rage and there's anger and there's, and there's distraction. And on the inside of you, all you do is focus on a life that has been hurt by a particular person. And you know what you do when you don't forgive? You allow the person that has hurt you to have power over you for as long as you carry that burden, that scar. But when you forgive, you get your power back. And it is high time that some of you, that some of you watching, get your power back. Forgiveness will free your spirit. It will detox your soul. It will cause your faith to work. It will attract the favor of God. I'm telling you that it's detoxing. Not only is it detoxing. By the way, recently, I had a kidney stone. And um, I didn't know it until I passed it. Which is a blessing, by the way, right? Because normally you get like pre-pained. I didn't have any pre-pained. And all of a sudden, I, I go to the bathroom and I'm like, oh! The worst kind of pain. Matter of fact, women who have given birth and had kidney stones said kidney stones are worse than giving birth. And so, ladies, you should wish a kidney stone on every man so they will know what it's like. And so I was actually very grateful because I didn't know what had happened, but I suspected that it was kind of something like that. It's kind of unnerving, you know, type of thing. And so I'm like, I don't even know what happened. And, 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 and I'm like, all right, it's over now. And it was like three seconds of the worst pain in the world. And, and, I, and then I went to the doctor because as days went on, I started getting more pains in my lower area. And so I told the doctor what happened. He said, yeah, he said, you got some kidney stones. And I said, well, what do I got to do? He said, you need to drink as much water as possible. Because you need to flush out those stones. Because if you don't flush them out, they're going to continue to cause pain in your life. Listen to me. If you don't flush out the bitterness, if you don't flush out the anger, 
if you don't flush out the resentment, guess what it's going to do? It's continue to cause pain in your life. How do you flush it out? You get you a big old refreshing drink of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you begin to meditate on how you were lost, but now you're found. How you were blind, but now you see. And you realize what Jesus did for you. And as you drink that in, all of a sudden the ability to forgive is going to well up in your spirit. And you're going to begin to let that go in your life. And your soul is going to be free again. Not only is it detoxing, but I believe it's also determinant. Forgiveness is determinant. The high road of forgiveness Determine it. Why? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, what I mean is this, that it, it, it determines whether you walk in victory or not. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, it's almost impossible for you to walk in victory. Anybody know the story of David and Goliath? David and Goliath? Here's what you probably know about the story, that David defeated this Goliath with five smooth stones and a slingshot, right? Pretty much what everybody knows. Do you know that David actually didn't kill Goliath with the stones and the slingshot? He knocked Goliath down unconscious with the stone, but then he went over to Goliath, he pulled out Goliath's own sword, and he cut Goliath's head off with his own sword. So he killed him with his own sword, which is a whole other message that I don't have time for. <laughs> but here's what I want you to get. In Bible times, there were different ways that people were skilled in combat. One was there were certain people who were swordsmen. Goliath was a swordsman. He was trained for hand-to-hand combat. If you tried to fight Goliath on his terms, you would lose. If you tried to stoop down to hand-to-hand combat, you would lose. David was a slinger, which meant that he wouldn't kill you up close. He would strike you from afar. How many of you know the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? And here's what God is saying. Don't stoop down to their level. Don't get in the mud with them. Don't go tit for tat. Don't go evil for evil. Start slinging some forgiveness at people and watch how you get victory in your life. And so forgiveness is hard. It's difficult. But it is also the high road It is also the determining factor in whether we win over every given situation in life. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 21 ends, and it says this. It says, do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a message for this culture. This culture thinks the way to overcome evil is to fight, to call each other names, to burn stuff down, to flip stuff over. Do you know MLK would not approve of any of that? Do you know what his message was? It was his message. You can go and read it because I've studied it time and time and time again. In essence, he paraphrased what Jesus said. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Good wins out if we stay faithful to it. Now, we're not talking about letting people walk all over us. We're not talking about any of that kind of stuff, but we're talking about how to overcome. It's by taking the high road. When we go down into the low road and we begin to mix it up and we go stone for stone and tit for tat, guess what happens? We lose every single time. Second thing I want you to see about uh, being stoned, how do you handle it? How you handle being stoned determines whether or not God stands. You say, well, Pastor, Stephen tried this high road of forgiveness. He lost No, he didn't. Look at what the verse says. Verse number 60 says, And he looked up to heaven, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. 
In other words, he got a standing ovation into eternity because of the way that he handled being stoned. And here's what I think. I think that when we handle being stoned the right way, that God stands for two reasons. The first reason why he stands is to applaud us. And I don't know about you, but we need to redefine what it means to win. We need to realize that winning isn't always getting what you want. Selah. Have you ever fought for what you want, then got what you wanted, and wished you hadn't got what you wanted? Anybody? Ever just, just dug your heels in? I've got to have this. I've got to have this relationship. I don't know what I'm going to do without this guy in my life. Even though he smacked me, I'm going back. Hello? And you fight and fight and fight, and then you get what you wanted. Then you wished you never got what you wanted. Winning is not always getting what you wanted because many times we want the wrong stuff in our life. But here's what winning is to me. Winning is when we lead such a life that when God looks down on it, God begins to go, yeah, look at my son. Look at my daughter right there. Look at them. Look at them letting that light shine. Look at them living with character and living with integrity and taking the high road in every situation. I believe that Jesus stands and applauds our steps when we live a life that reflects him. But the second reason why Jesus stands because how we handle being stoned determines whether Jesus stands. Second reason why Jesus stands is to answer our prayers and intervene in our life. And, and here's how God ministered this to me as I was looking at this story. Because I was like, God, there's got to be more to this than, you know, Jesus just standing, right? Just to, just to say, yay, Stephen. Which is kind of cool. Because we all should live for that day when we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? I don't know about you, but I don't want to like, get to heaven and you know, a couple of people are before me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, men's amends. I, I'm not really looking forward to that. So, so I do have um, a great desire to hear him applaud my steps. But there's got to be more to it. And here's the way God ministered to me. Because Jesus stood when Stephen was being stoned. And, and I, I kind of envision this. Imagine yourself watching your kids and you're, you're kind of sitting, sitting down on a stool. That's as low as I can go. And I'm probably going to have a hard time getting up from here. I'm closing in on 50. And you see your kids, and they're, they're playing, and all of a sudden they start getting into something dangerous, but you don't know if it's really going to hurt them yet. And what do you do? You, you slide to the edge of your seat, and then as it's about to go down, you, you, you stand up so that you can pounce and intervene. Here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that the reason why Jesus didn't stop the stoning was because Stephen didn't pray for him to stop the stoning. I'm not saying Stephen did anything wrong. Matter of fact, what Stephen did was probably more right than any of us would do because Stephen sacrificed his life for the greater cause of the gospel. But I believe with all my heart that if he would have said, Lord Jesus, save me, that he would have jumped in there and swooped in and saved him from being Stoned. Because I believe with all my heart that when we take the high road of forgiveness, that God intervenes in our life, that God shows up in our life, that he answers our prayers, that he comes to our defense, that he becomes uh, uh, the one that goes before us and the one that stands behind us, and he begins to turn the stones that have been sent to work against us into stepping stones that help move us to the next level. 
And I'm going to show you that in just a minute, that this is what Jesus did. But I believe that how we handle being stoned has everything to do with whether or not God stands in our lives. Matter of fact, when you read through the scriptures on, on how to get your prayers answered, the Our Father is taught in Matthew chapter 6, right? 5 into 6, if you will, because the pretext of what he says before he teaches the Our Father is important too. And in the pretext, before he teaches us how to pray for results, he says this, whoever strikes you on one cheek, Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, whoever strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. This is before the Our Father. And then he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 40, 44, he says, he says, we need to love our enemies and do good to those who despitefully use us. And then at the end of the Our Father, later on in, in, in Matthew chapter number 6, he says something that's even more powerful. He says this, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, I won't forgive you your trespasses. And in between all of that about how to handle being stoned, he gives us the prayer of the Our Father. Now here's my question for you. Why is that the pretext and the context of teaching us on how to pray? Because the answer to our prayers is dependent on how we handle being stoned in life. Why do so many Christians not get their prayers answered? Because they're hanging on to the stones. They're hanging on to the unforgiveness. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm standing ready to intervene. I'm standing ready to answer your prayers. But I need you to handle being stoned by taking the high road. Now watch this. If you still don't think that if we handle being stoned by taking the high road of forgiveness, that Jesus will stand and answer our prayers, I want to close with this third and final point. The third point is this, how we handle being stoned affects more lives than we'll ever know. What did Stephen pray? What did he pray? Father, do not hold this sin to their charge. Interesting. I think I've heard that prayer before. Not from my mouth, but from the mouth of my Savior. When he hung on the cross... He prayed this prayer over his crucifixioners. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amazing. Stephen and Jesus both prayed the same prayer. Both got the same reward. The applause of heaven. Both were received by God without experiencing death. Stephen didn't die. Did you read what the scripture said? It said as they were stoning him, he prayed that prayer, then he fell asleep. The reward that Stephen had was that the death of the, st the stoning didn't cause his death. The Lord Jesus took him home to be with him in glory. Just like the crucifixion did not cause the death of Jesus. Because if it did, then Jesus wouldn't have laid down his life. He gave his life freely and he took up his life freely. And there he is and he prays this prayer. And you remember the prayer again. His father, don't hold their sin to their charge. Jesus stood up. And guess what Jesus did? He answered that prayer. You say, How? Who was the one who gave authority for the stoning to happen? Saul. Why was Jesus on that road to Damascus? Why did he, instead of striking Saul down and killing him, 
struck him down so that he could save him and turn his life around? How come he didn't give Saul what he deserved for his sin? Here's what I believe. I believe it's because Stephen prayed when Saul consented to his stoning. And because Stephen prayed, Saul was the answer to Stephen's prayers. And Stephen saw the life of somebody changed who went on and changed the life of so many other people because Stephen prayed. Because Stephen prayed, we got two-thirds of the New Testament. Because Stephen prayed, we got all of those promises in God's Word that you and I need so many times in our lives when life is not going great. Promises like Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things together for the good, for those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. Promises like Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20, how God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Promises like Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Promises like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, that God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with every temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Promises like Hebrews 4.16, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Promises like Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard your heart and your mind. Promises like 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse number 9 my grace is sufficient for you promises like 2 Corinthians 5 17 any man who's in Christ is a new creature all things are passed away all things become new we've got these promises because somebody prayed because somebody prayed because somebody prayed prayed for somebody to be forgiven when we, when you and I forgive, when we handle being stoned by taking the high road, guess what happens? Lives are affected. See, here's what unforgiveness does. It keeps the cycle of pain going. That's why it's one of the greatest tools of the enemy. Because here's what the enemy wants for every life, to be stuck in a cycle of pain. So what happens is somebody hurts you, and you try to get back at them. And then they try to hurt you back. And before you know it, other people who are connected to you are being hurt. Because that's the way a lot of people try to get back at people, right? They hurt you, they hurt what you love, all that kind of stuff. Before you know it, there's this big out-of-control cycle of pain, and everybody's hurt, and everybody's paying people back. That's why the Scripture says, do not repay evil for evil. But overcome evil with good. Stop the cycle of pain. Forgiveness changes your life, frees your spirit, frees your faith, gets you moving in the direction that God has for your life. Forgiveness frees the person's life who did the stoning. I know you don't want to hear that. I know we really want the people that stone us to be, to be crucified for it. I know it. I know it. I know it. I feel you. I've been in those places before. But here's what it does. It changes their life. And in changing their life, listen to me, it probably protects the lives of other people. Because if they never changed 
and they're sold out to being a stoner. They're just going to keep throwing stones and stones and stones and stones and other people are going to be hurt. And so by your forgiveness, you're stopping the cycle in your life, in other people's lives, and then in the lives of people that you'll never know. I don't think Stephen knew that by praying for Saul, that Saul would become who Saul became, the apostle Paul, the greatest apostle of all. I don't think he knew that God would hand select him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And I know that God separates us from our mother's womb and that his plan for us pre-exists, us realizing that plan. But here's what I believe. I believe because of Stephen's prayer that Saul was able to walk in his purpose. And because Saul was able to walk in his purpose, our lives have been changed. Whose lives are we going to touch? Because we choose to take the high road of forgiveness. Let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen, I'll say this one last thing, and you can stand to your feet before I close. And that's this. That I think as Christians, sometimes we got it wrong. Because we think our job is just to speak about Jesus. It's like a partial job assignment. It's like showing up for work at 9 o'clock and then sitting there and doing nothing. It's not a good job. It's just a partial job assignment. Yes, we're called to to declare what Jesus did. Share the message of the gospel. But more than share the message of the gospel, we're called to live the message of the gospel. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is how you live the gospel. By doing the things that are not easy. By doing the things that go against your sin nature. Tapping into your spirit and walking in forgiveness and love when it's difficult and you don't want to. This is what God expects of us. Let's pray.